0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Who worked for him if he would take on the project of building this house for the owner, this contractor... He said he was too busy, he got other projects going, so he gave the job to his his future son-in-law. Would you now build this house for me? So the future son-in-law, he got the plans out, and the future father-in-law was out doing his things in construction, other big buildings. So this future son-in-law decided that he was going to surprise his future father-in-law and try to save some money on this job. He looked at the plans, and the plans required that the nails be put apart 18 inches. He decided to do it 24 inches. It talked about certain thickness of plywood. He got a little thinner plywood. It talked about certain layers of shingles on the roof. He did one less layer of shingles on the roof. It talked about priming and then a second coat of paint. He decided to just put one thick coat of paint on and not priming it. And he got it done ahead of time and he got it done also for a lot less money. And boy, was he so happy because he could now show to his new father-in-law that he could save money and he could get this thing done in a sooner amount of time. And so as he did this, he now says to his father-in-law, I want you to know this is the house that I built for you. Thank you for entrusting me with the plans and to build this house for you. So the father thanked him. Two weeks later, the wedding came on. And now they're at the reception. And so the father's about ready to give a toast. So he clangs his little glass and everybody is quiet. And the father-in-law says how proud he is of his son-in-law. And you know the rest of the story. He handed the keys to that house to his new son-in-law and said, thank you, the house you thought you are building for me is a house that you built for yourself. And you can imagine what went on in his mind because he knew that he was cheating his father-in-law, and now he has an inferior house that he built. Well, in our world of work, we could get by, some of us for many years. In fact, most of us probably can get so smart at cutting corners that we can get around this for the rest of our life because so many people do it, and even bosses kind of expect us to do it. But in reality, God is up in heaven, and he knows exactly what's expected out of us. Do you know that they know that there is so much pilfering when an employee works in a clothing industry like some of our department stores at the mall that they know that people are shoplifting, even the fellow workers are doing that, that they inflate the prices over it, not because of customers who come in and shop and steal. It would be from their own employees that do it. So you and I, when we go to the mall and we buy something and we pay so much money, they're factoring in because their own employees are thieves. And that translates into those of us who aren't in the... uh, Real retail business, paper clips, copy machines, and all the rest. And what we need to do is to work diligently, faithfully, purposely, respectfully, and diligently as unto the Lord. Now, why should we do that? There's two reasons. Let's look at the two reasons why we should. Diligent work will be rewarded by the Lord. Would you mark that down? That when you serve the Lord from the inside out, according to His power and grace and for His glory, and you know that He's watching you, When you do it that way, God says, I will reward you. Now, here's what we have to be careful of. And it's hard. Sometimes we do work hard and we'll put in extra hours. Maybe we'll work hard for many weeks or months on a project. Some of you have worked very hard on your job and you've received abuse and misuse. Some of you have been passed over for promotion. Some of you know that the good old boys' club is going on on your job. Some of you have been marginalized on your job because they may know that you're a Christian. Some of you might have an ethnic issue that's going on in your job that's working against you. Some of you know that there's favoritism that have been there. And I know that that stuff will demoralize anyone. That will affect and impact our flesh. That's a normal thing to do. That's normal. That's natural. But God doesn't want us to be normal and natural. He wants us to be spiritual and supernatural. That's why he lives out within us because there's no one who's known more abuse than the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he still finished his father's work and he fulfilled his father's will. And so just like he did to his father in obedience, no matter what the world did to treat him, no matter how bad he was treated, he still could die and rise again. And this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And he could say that to you and me as well. So, you will be rewarded of the Lord. It says here, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. So the next time you look at your boss for just a moment, if you could just picture, instead of your boss, your supervisor, picture the Lord Jesus Christ giving you that assignment. You young people, when you're given an assignment from your teacher, you look at it as if it's the Lord giving you that assignment. And when you turn it in, it's like you're handing it to the Lord. And he's now not going to just look at what you did on your paper. He's going to look at the attitude in which you did it. He's going to look at the extra mile that you went, that you did this. He's going to see if you did it for his glory. And sure, the teacher's going to be grading you. And watch this. When the teacher then, after you've done all the best you could, gives someone else a higher grade than you got for that paper, knowing that you did deserve more for what you've done, you know that the Lord is still smiling because he says that you will always reap more. And you'll reap later, but you'll always get the best from Him. So let God take care of keeping the books on the reward system. He will never let you down. Never, ever let you down. God is there to take care of you. And then the second reason we serve Him is because lazy and poor work will be judged of the Lord. When man doesn't see us and we don't get done, and we, we fudge on the time clocks, we leave early, we take personal phone calls all the time, whatever it might be, we will be judged. It says, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there's no partiality. That means that no matter how good you might be at church, if you're failing on your job, there's no partiality. It doesn't mean no ma- it, doesn't, it doesn't mean whoever you are, there's no excuse for it. There's no partiality. I went and I decided to put together a list of of types of work that God might judge us for. Now, again, it goes to the heart before the actions. But listen to this list. I know it's hard with the rain pounding here, but... Listen very carefully. He will judge us if we are lazy on our job. In other words, that we have more horsepower and nitro behind us, more energy to get this job done, but we're lazy. Or wait to the last minute. Or procrastinate. Another one is if we're irresponsible. We're given a job to do and we let the boss down on it. We're irresponsible. We're unconcerned. We don't have passion for it. We're going through the motions. It's just a job. It's just a career. Instead of saying, no, this is a privilege to be here. And I'm God's minister here. And God wants me here. And this is my part of kingdom building. We're just unconcerned. We're unproductive. Yeah, we, go through the, we do this stuff, but there's no results. We haven't changed any lives. We haven't done anything. There's no results from our work. That might not be in a day-to-day thing. It may be cumulative. But over the course of the time, is things better because you're there? Being uncaring. Careless. In other words, behind you is a track record of missed and mistakes, failures, couldn't do this, you made a mistake there, where that your boss is covering you by having to cost the company more just to clean up your mistakes because you failed at something or we failed at something. Selfishness, being unfair, being disrespectful, cheating, stealing or pilfering. I one time had a young lady... She's such a sweet little mother. She's probably no bigger than this. She weighed about 90 pounds and she had her very first child. Sweet little girl. She came into my office. She sat down. She's only a new mother with, or a, mother with a new child for just about a year. And she's weeping, just weeping. And I'm asking her, what, what is the problem? And here's what she told me. She said, you know, my, my husband kind of gets odd jobs and I needed to work, so I worked for Walmart. And they permitted me to work in the pharmacy. So I worked in the pharmacy, but I was the one who worked the books in the back of the pharmacy. And she said, because we needed some money, I took $20. I feel so badly about it. But then again, I took another $20 and I said I'd pay it back. So I paid the first $20 back, but I took another $20 and then I took another $20, but I paid the other $20, and pretty soon I was paying less back and taking more. And I said, well, how much have you taken? She said, probably since I went back to work over the last nine months, I have stolen between eight dollars and $10,000 that I haven't. But I, she said, I don't even know how much I've taken. She says, I know that they have auditors looking through the books now, and they're going to find me. What do I need to do? I said, well, the best thing for you to do is to move out of town and change your name. No, I didn't say that. I said, ma'am, you know what you need to do? You need to fess up. And I would tell you that bring your husband in, and you, before they catch you, you tell them exactly what you have done. And she says, I know it is the policy of Walmart Corp that they will arrest me. And I said, okay, I will go with you. So then we navigated a discussion with her employer, and we got permission for her to go to the police station, without her having to go in handcuffs with her child or husband. And together we walked in there, and we worked out a deal with the management of Walmart, her supervisor in the pharmacy, and also with the court system. Now I will tell you, lest some of you think that it's easy, that was an absolute miracle of God from someone who came forth with that failure first, and quote, repented, changed her mind, took responsibility. But let me remind you, the rest of the story is... She went on probation for five years. She does have a record. We will never forget what she's done. That'll be a scar and loss of rewards in heaven forever because of what she's done. And it all started with, I'll take 20 and pay it back soon. Now that's one little microcosm that each one of us may have in our own life. So God says when you labor for him and nobody sees you do the good stuff, God says I will bless you. I could only imagine if I had enough time today that I could probably parade up in front of you a cadre of people that are here today that are experiencing the blessings of God who chose to serve on their job as if Jesus was there looking at them. And they know that at times that they were mistreated and abused, passed over for promotions, didn't get the bonus. Others got all the blessings and they were the cheaters. But yet they'll still say, I'm better off because the one thing that they could not take away from me. Listen, the one thing they can misuse me, abuse me, but they can never take away. The feeling of personal integrity that I've got. That's the joy that you have. Well, let's talk for a moment if you don't mind about those who are the employers. The key word for masters or employers would be the word provide. How many of you, again, have a supervisor that is... Uh, you're the supervisor. You have people under you. Would you raise your hand? Okay. Some of you. That This would be your role. It's interesting how he gives a little bit less in this role than he does to the employee, but it's quite possible that there are more employees and they suffer a little bit more stress from the employer. And for the employer... There's there's less of us, and so there's a little less stress that we might have in a certain way. I don't know. I may be speculating on it. But it's not without its principles. So here's what he says. Masters, supervisors, those that have people under you, give your bondservants, your employees, what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So there's no master who's all by himself without having to answer to a higher master. So how is an employer to treat his, his or her employee? Well, an employee is to be treated justly and fairly, justly and fairly, justly and fairly. Well, I began to look at a value system that I've been working on as, I guess, as a supervisor. Um, The Lord has allowed me to have the opportunity to have people under me. Some have been paid, true, some have been volunteer, some are a combination, But in any case, I have to have a particular value system of how do I want to treat them fairly and justly. So I look at about five areas, and there's probably more, and send me more input if you want, but I'm going to give you the five areas that I am very, very sensitive to about treating them fairly and justly. And those of you that have people under you, you may want to look at these five areas. The first is in the area of wages and salary. I will lobby for a faithful, hard-working employee who has gone the extra mile, I will lobby to make sure that he gets paid. And then if I can, if I know that the cost of living is going up in that area in which we live, that employee lives, I will lobby that his raise will at least be the amount of percentage of the cost of living so that by the next year he's not losing money on the deal just because the economy is. So the minimum I will lobby for that. Now it doesn't mean I always get it, but I would much prefer that. And if I've got a great employee, often I would much prefer him to have a job and pay me last. It's better for us to have a tighter relationship because of it. So wages and salary. Let me say something else about that. Sometimes you can't pay them wages and salary, but if you're given the freedom to give them a little extra time off, a little bonus here, a little bit of grace there, sometimes in today's society they don't want so much more money. They just need room to breathe. And that might be something you could work with. Let me quickly go on. The second is the area of work assignments. I want to treat them fairly and justly in work assignments. I don't, want them to, I don't want to give them something to do, that they don't have the resources to do it, they don't have the time to do what they need to do, and they don't have the praise and the support to ask questions so they can succeed. The job of a supervisor is not to, to make the employee fail. If the employee fails, the employer fails. And so what you want to do is to help the employee to succeed if possible. So work assignments. The third area is in production and goals. Sometimes you'll have an employee that will have unrealistic expectations to try to please the supervisor, and so they go way above what they can perform. Well, it's our job to kind of bring them back down to earth again. At the same time, give them benchmarks. Why do you give them production goals? It's so that when they reach them, you can praise them. You want to praise them. You want them to have that attaboy, that feeling of self-esteem. You want to show them not how far they still have yet to go. You want to show them how far they've come. That gives them the impetus and motivation to go further. So as an employer, to be fair and just, look at your production goals. And then the fourth theory is expectations and demands. And sometimes that's a question that you have to create a safe environment that you can talk to your employee, that he can share with you how he feels you're putting expectations or demands on him or her. I use him, but it's him or her expectations and demands. So open it up so you have a free understanding. It might be that you're putting an expectation upon that person and he's lazy and so he thinks you're overbearing when you might have to then tell him or teach him how that he could step up a little bit more. It could be that you're putting expectations on him because you have a supervisor over you, supervisor, that is putting expectations on him through you. So you have to have some dialoguing with that. Remember, what your team is not up on, they'll be down on. And finally, number five is promotion. Looking for ways that you can help that person go to this next level, especially when they're younger, to help them to be able to have career advancement. Now, as I look at these five areas, let me quickly say this. If you'll notice, the passage of Scripture says, knowing also of whom you have a master in heaven. In Ephesians, it says that we would teach them the same way we would want to be treated. So that being the case, these would be the five areas that I would like to have my bosses, my supervisors, my board look at me. So that's how we're doing it together, for we have a check and balance. Now why should we do this? Why should employer treat his employee equitably? Because an employer is also under authority. We have to answer to the Lord. Here's what's so interesting. When an employee answers to the Lord, he's answering to the Lord how he's treating, how he's working on the job. We who are in a supervisory role, we have to answer for two. In a sense, we are answering to the Lord for our employee, and we're also answering to the Lord how we're doing as a supervisor. So there's kind of like a coming together of both here. So as I look at myself, and I look at the team God's given to me, I'm so grateful for them. They're so gifted and talented. They have employment for life, as far as I'm concerned. Now that being the case... I pray for them. I think about them. I think about how I can bring that person to the Lord. Am I doing anything to demoralize them? Am I helping them? Am I encouraging them? And at times, am I correcting them? And when I correct them, which is rare, am I correcting them in love, which I struggle with sometimes. I'm more tasked and I want to get it done. I forget how I'm coming across. So for me, task skills is easy. People skills I have to work on. And I really do that. Let me tell you two stories and we'll close. The first story is a story that you might remember. How many of you have watched the uh, Academy Award-winning movie called Chariots of Fire? Does anybody remember that? Chariots of Fire was a true story about a couple of guys primarily. One was Eric Little, and the other was Harold uh, Abram. And these two gentlemen were not, one was saved and one wasn't saved. It was back in the 1920s when they were preparing for the 1924 Olympics now, as they were doing that Eric Little was the dedicated Christian and he would practice 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 and he would just run 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 and he did all the things that he enjoyed doing. But he had a sister and that sister was watching him and was thinking that he was getting a little overbalanced in what he was doing so his sister then called him aside one time when Eric missed a mission meeting that he was supposed to be at. And so Jenny said you know you're putting running ahead of the Lord and you should be at these mission meetings. So Eric put his arm around Jenny and they walked out to a grassy knoll overlooking the Scottish Highlands. And he sat her down and recalling that they both have come from missionary parents in China and at the same time that they were going to go back to China. And I'm quoting from what Eric Little said to his sister. He said, Jenny, Jenny, you've got to understand I believe God made me for a purpose for China but he also made me fast and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now that is in sharp contrast to another runner. Again, his name was Harold Abrams. And just before he ran for the Olympics, he's lying on, a, on a, like a, a table, a bed table, and he was getting a rub down. And while he was getting the rub down, here's what he said to his trainer. He said, I'm 24 and I've never known contentment. I'm forever in pursuit. I don't even know what it is I'm chasing. So you have one who says, I run for the pleasure of God. The other says, I don't even know what I'm running for. They both got gold medals, by the way. And so I ask you, are you going to work like a Harold Abrams? I don't even know why I work. It's for three hot meals and a place to sleep. It's because I got bills. I got to do this. It's my job. Yeah, it's what I'm trained for. Or do you see it as a wonderful kaleidoscope of opportunities for you to magnify Christ? An opportunity for you to engage in relationships that hopefully off the clock you might be able to lead them to Christ. Someday when we're not battling building issues here, my passion is to come alongside every one of you that are in the world of work because I believe that's an untapped group of marketplace evangelists. If I could put us on the map for evangelism, door-to-door is great, going on Waikiki is great, but nothing is better than to equip you to know how can you evangelize in the marketplace and not at all compromise that for which you were hired and being paid. There's wonderful things that we can do. But the first step is to see you go to the mission field tomorrow like Pastor Dennis and Pastor Charlie and Claire and others will come here to our mission field. So we can do it for his pleasure. And then for those of you that are in positions of supervising, I'm reminded of another movie. Not a true story, but a classic nonetheless. And you know which one I'm thinking about. I'm thinking of even Cruz. Remember Scrooge? All right, And he had an employee by the name of whom, everyone? Bob Cratchit. And he demoralized Bob Cratchit. He put so much work on this guy here. He made fun out of this guy. He didn't hardly pay him. And then on Christmas Eve, what did he do? He fired him. And so Bob goes back home with no job, demoralized. Christmas Eve, son, Tiny Tim, to tell him that he doesn't have a job. Now, I hope you don't work for a Scrooge. But if you are the kind of person that sometimes you have the reputation to be a little scrooge Remember what happened to Scrooge. In the story, there was a visitation that Scrooge had. And from that visitation that he had in that dream that night, he emerged a new man that could see into the future of what it could be like. And so he went over to Bob Cratchit's house and he brought gifts over there and he complimented his employee. And he rehired his employee and paid him a a monumental amount more money than he did before because he became a new man. I'm so glad that Dickens did that. But I wish there'd have been a sequel to that just to see how much further that company would have gone because of having that kind of employer and an employee relationship. And I could only picture in my mind what your company or where you were could be if there was a new employee going back because of your new relationship with Christ. Or what it might be over time, those of you that are supervisors, if they saw a new person in Christ come back to them and be a new supervisor tomorrow. Well, I hope this might help you. And if you look at some of those questions for reflections for employers and employees, I think there's some things that you and the Holy Spirit can work on. And if you'll dig deep into the Christ who's inside of you and allow Him to release that out through you because He called you to the position of supervisor or employee and let God do a mighty work. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. We're at a point now, though, that you have to say, where do I begin? This is not the end of a sermon. It's the beginning of a new life. And where you begin now is to say, Lord, I am a sinner. I can see areas where I have failed. And I need your full forgiveness. Realize that because you're a sinner by nature and now by choice, that you're separated forever from God, from heaven. And that no amount of good deeds you do, you could try to change your life tomorrow and be a better Uh, employer or employee that might help for a while on your job but it won't change your standing about the hereafter because good deeds will not get you into heaven what you have to do is to say Lord I have blown it and I'm coming to you for your forgiveness and now believe that Jesus is the Lord God Almighty who died on the cross and shed his blood for you and rose again from the dead And He says to you, I love you and I'll forgive you. If I can forgive those people that brutalized me before I was hung on the cross, I can forgive you. And if you'll receive from Him that full forgiveness by faith, you can have a new life in Christ where He now comes inside of you and begins to help you and equip you, empower you, guide you, instruct you, teach you, remind you. But it all begins with you placing your faith alone in Jesus Christ.
0: This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.